0: Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. I'm thrilled this week to share with you a conversation I had with one of the people behind my productivity. It's Michael Hyatt. It's always great for me to sit down and talk with Michael in person or over a podcast where you get to listen in. This week, we're talking about his brand new book, Free to Focus. It's out now. You have to get it. It is one of the best productivity books out there because it is based on the free to Focus course and workshop that I have attended and gone through, and now the book. It is distilled down into some of the best productivity workflow information for you right now, practically to apply to your life. Not only do we talk about that, but we talk about some practical implementation of some of Cal Newport's digital minimalism and how Michael took that digital minimalism approach and applied it to his smartphone. That is the second half of this conversation, and I'll just get out of the and say enjoy this conversation with Michael Hyatt. Well, this week it is my privilege to welcome back once again to the show, Michael Hyatt. Welcome back. Hey, thanks, Eric. Great to be with
1: you again. I don't know which, uh, how many appearances I've had on on your show, but I'm always honored.
0: Yeah, I should have looked it up. We were just talking pre-show that obviously Jeff Goins is. I think still the reigning champion, but not by much. And, you know, that's important to him because he's so competitive, but, uh, that you, by doing less appearances, do more, <laughs> doing less to do more. Cause that's what productivity well, is all about in a lot of ways.
1: That's exactly right. And that's the whole premise of my new book, free to focus to achieve more by doing less. So Jeff read the book and you <laughs> won't have to do so many appearances.
0: <laughs> that is great. <laughs> oh. And I'm leaving that in. So, uh, Mike, you've been on the show so many times, we've talked about a number of different things. I mean, you were on before you even had books out other than platform, obviously, but specifically productivity books. I mean, you came out with... Uh, living forward, best year ever, and now free to focus. Although those didn't come out in that order. I think the, the first thing was the best year ever course. Uh, and then there was the living forward book. Then there was the best year ever book. And now the, and, and there was free to focus the course, obviously. By the way, I really like the idea of creating a course, having people go through it and then creating the book versus having a book come out and then doing, doing, you know, book tours and seminars about the book.
1: Well, here's why it works better that way. The most permanent form that content can assume is a book. And it's much more difficult to change it once you get it into a book format. But the the best way to do it is first as a live event, because you get immediate feedback, then you can change it. The second best way or the set, you know, the, the second most permanent is a course, because now you're committing video and audio and workbooks and all that, that stuff. But you can still change. It. It's still pretty easy. And we have typically reshot my courses every year. But then the final step is to actually have a more permanent form in a book. So I like developing content in that sequence. It allows me to get the most input and go through the most iterations before I'm, I'm really committed to something that can't change very easily.
0: Well, and thinking about that, actually, in my personal experience with the free-to-focus formula uh, and strategy is that I took the online course, I also attended the event, and now have gone through the book, and now that I'm thinking about it, the distilling down into, (laughs) appropriately, the focused information for this book is amazing. Let's set the book in its proper context. So from what, from where I see it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but living okay. forward, living forward is this macro level. It's life planning. It's the entirety of your life. Yes. Best year ever drills down to obviously it's in the title, best year ever. Free to focus though, which goes right along with the full focus planner, which is a quarterly planner, three months, uh, doesn't just stop there though. It also goes down into your ideal day and your ideal week, but also a quarter. I mean, am I appropriately placing free to focus in where it goes in this kind of series? You're not going to come out with, you know, your, your best minute ever, right?
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but that's exactly the right sequence. I think of living forward and it just kind of logically happened with the release of the books. Living forward is kind of the 35,000 foot okay. view. You know, what you see from the airplane, the curvature, of the earth, the long distance view, and then your best driver ever is like the 10,000 foot view where, you know, you can see buildings, you can see some of the things on, on the ground, but it's a year view. And then uh, free to focus is really sort of the runway view. You know, it's where the rubber meets the road and where we execute and implement all the goals and vision and all that stuff we've created previously.
0: Now, some would say then, well, don't I have to go through the books in that order? And I would even say, you know what? Free to focus is probably maybe in some people's you know lives where to start to get some leeway to then be able to even tackle some of the best year ever stuff and then even the living forward stuff.
1: Yeah, totally. You know, I'm all about the quick win. And I think that, that one of the complaints I have with the life planning process is that you got to go away for a day, you got to find a day and go away and do your life plan. And then you still have to implement it. So you can start wherever you want. And some people have the energy for that and the vision for that. And, you know, God bless them, let them start there. Some people want to dig in from an annual perspective, you know, to, to lay out the next year or the next quarter. But this is stuff that you can get a lot of quick quick wins very quickly and really make some significant improvements in the way you execute and kind of in your lifestyle and your margin and all the rest, you know, free to focus offers that.
0: So obviously, in the title of the book, free to focus, there's this inherent uh, hinting at freedom that is to be had from going through the book and, and implementing it. So let's talk about that freedom. What is that freedom?
1: Okay. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I I noticed with productivity books, and I, I started into productivity. First of all in college, I you mean, know, I had a day planner and I was really into productivity, read a lot of books on time management. And then in 2004 I started my blog. At the time it was called Working Smart and it was all about my productivity hacks and and what I was learning. But I quickly found out that for a lot of people and even for me for some period of time, I found that productivity had become an end in itself, just sort of this endless quest for the right apps the right way to organize, the right ways to be more efficient. But then I discovered that, you know, when productivity is that, it becomes all-consuming. There's never an end to it. You know, if you, if you start with a 12-hour a day and shave it back to eight hours because of your productivity hacks and improvements in apps, you quickly fill that time right back up with additional work. So more ends up being more. So I felt like, no, that's not what I want. I want productivity to be a means to an end. And 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 the end for me is freedom. You know, I want the freedom, and I talk about this in the book about four specific freedoms, the freedom, first of all, to focus, to focus on my most important work, to do that deep work, as Cal Newport calls it, that creative work that actually drives my business and my life forward. But I also want the freedom to be fully present with the people I love and the people I work with. And, you know, how often have we seen somebody at work who's distracted by a text message from home because something, you know, is out of control at home and they've got to stop and they've got to go tend to that. Or even worse, when you're at a restaurant and you see people on their smartphones, they're not present at all. They're present with people that aren't even there. And then I want also the freedom to be spontaneous so that if, for me, if my grandkids drop by, I want to be able to drop what I'm doing and not be so over then I can't stop and enjoy them. And then one of the things I learned when I was in Italy, when Gail and I were there, is the freedom to do nothing at all. The Italians have um, a phrase for it. They say, uh, la how, how is it la dolce diente, which means the freedom or the, the sweetness of doing nothing. And I love that freedom in particular.
0: Well, and the, the sweetness of doing nothing, isn't it in the fact that, you know, well, there is stuff that I could be doing, but I don't have to do it. I've done the important stuff or I know That's where it. I'm at in that process. I'm guilt-free. Totally. One
1: of the amazing things that happens when you're doing nothing is that some of the times when you had the biggest breakthroughs, it could be a relational breakthrough. It could be a, create, a creative breakthrough. It could be, you know, a productivity breakthrough. Um, but yeah, we've got to give ourselves space to think, to breathe, you know, to reclaim our lives.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I hadn't heard of the, the rest book until you suggested it a little over a year ago, and it's made a huge impact on my life. It's not just unplugging. It's, it's being intentional with rest. It's doing different types of activity that Mm -hmm. are, um, you you know, you can be actively resting, which was just a crazy idea to me but I love that. I love saying, you "No, know, you know what? Like I can go out and do an alternate activity that is not something I typically do during the work week and I'm not even saying that like you can only rest on the weekends, but like to be able to go for a long bike ride and to get great ideas from that and not even go into it with the idea of getting ideas. But that they come right. to you because you're, you're operating different parts of your body, different parts of your brain, that ultimately the, the, the place that rest plays in productivity, which is huge also, by the way, in, um, the full focus planner as well as free to focus. I love this, this, uh, this intentionality and focus on that.
1: Yeah. You know, rejuvenation is the third chapter in the book. And the whole first section of the book is about stopping. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just taking a pause, taking a break and thinking about reflecting upon how we're doing our work, what's important to us, what's the end game for all this productivity. And, and as it turns out, rejuvenation is, is significantly important in the whole mix.
0: Well, and that's, uh, you, you, you said the key word there, stop. Stop or stopping. And it, yep. it, we're, we're not just talking about stopping to rest, but stopping doing things that we shouldn't be doing, right? Yeah,
1: totally. So there's three parts to the book. So the first part is stop, which is, I think, very counterintuitive, because most of us, when we think of productivity, getting more stuff done, we think about go, you know, act, get started, get in the game, make something happen. But I found for me as a achiever, and that's my top strength, For me, I've got to stop. You know, I've got to take a look around and I've got to be intentional about how I'm going to move forward. So the first chapter, as you know, is formulate to get a vision for what your productivity is going to look like and what is the end beyond productivity that you're going to accomplish by means of productivity. Then the second chapter there is to evaluate, to ask yourself, okay, where am I now? What is the stuff that's crowding my life, whether it's tasks, appointments, opportunities and I provide as you know a filter a grid called the freedom compass in that in that chapter so that people can evaluate the kind of work that uh, or find the kind of work that's the most important the most the greatest leverage of all and in that third chapter in that first section on stop I talk about rejuvenate and talk about things like rest you know as it turns out there's nothing more important to your productivity or your focus than getting a good night's sleep and we all know this intuitively because when you're tired, for example, and you're trying to read a book, you'll find yourself rereading the same page or the same paragraph over and over again because you're too, tar- too tired to focus, too tired to be productive. So sometimes the most productive thing you could do is just get a good night's sleep. So that's kind of the first section of
0: the book. This episode is brought to you in part by Backblaze. I've got multiple hard drives at home and in other places outside my home. But I also have Backblaze, unlimited cloud backup for my Macs, as well as PCs, just $6 a month per computer. I can access my data anywhere in the world so it's secure, and I don't have to be afraid of losing that data, no matter what happens. And I can restore one file or all my files. And again, it's unlimited bandwidth and unlimited file size. So again, I don't have to worry about space. Backblaze has my back. If something were to happen, I can purchase a hard drive or flash drive with all my data on it, overnighted by FedEx. I can even return that drive to them and get a full refund. It's a win-win if you have been neglecting backing up your data. Backblaze is the most simple way to get that covered. And again, have access to all your data anywhere in the world, on the web, or on the go with their app. For a 15-day, no-risk free trial, go to backblaze.com slash beyond and let them know that I sent you. Again, that's backblaze.com slash beyond. And let them know Eric Fisher at Beyond the To-Do List sent to you. I remember last time that you were on, we were talking actually about the upcoming Free to Focus course and, or at least the update. And we spent a, a large chunk of time talking about napping and your, your work th- flow for that and how you do that pretty much every day. And so I'm going to make sure to link that up in the show notes. We don't need to retread that here, but I can say this when you were so adamant about how important that was. I took it seriously for the first time in a long time. And suddenly I would say on average now, I personally, uh, based on your advice, I think I'm three or four times out of the week taking a nap, especially on the weekends. I make sure in the full focus planner to mark down naps almost every single Saturday and Sunday that I can. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. I have them literally on my calendar and my assistant knows to put them there. And there's occasions like when we're bash producing podcasts and doing 13 episodes over two days that I don't get to take a nap. And so I kind of grind through it. But I would say probably 90% of the time I take a nap every single day, weekdays and uh weekends
0: so talking again uh, you know the whole stopping thing and, and moving into the freedom compass as you mentioned uh, one of the things there that obviously we want to try and get into is the desire zone the working yeah. in your desire zone and I you know having gone through the course I understand fully what this means I've even gone through the worksheets and worked on it sitting there in the in the seminars talking with that and I was trying to Kind of come up with hard questions for you. And I kept thinking, where are the places people get the most kind of a, you know, a snag in their planning as they go through free to focus? And I thought, it's that desire zone. Like it's hard to get to in the sense Mm -hmm. that we, we feel like we don't have enough agency to move towards doing more work in that area or more time allotted towards that. Would you explain what the desire zone is as compared to some of the other zones? And sure. I I think that people need to really kind of flip a switch on their perspective on this.
1: Yeah, let me see if I can describe it. This is a little bit challenging in an audio podcast uh, without a visual, but just people can use their imaginations. So imagine a circle that represents a compass. That compass has north, south, east, west. It's divided into four quadrants. So if you could imagine a two by two matrix And I don't want people to get tangled up on this, but rotated 45 degrees so that the top quadrant is where passion and proficiency come together. So passion by that, I mean work that you actually enjoy, work that you love, work that gives you joy. Doesn't mean it's always easy, but it's deeply satisfying. Then on the other hand is the proficiency that comes together there too. And this is work that you're actually good at. So there's, there are times when we're proficient, but we don't love the work. Or maybe we love doing this kind of work, but we're not good at it yet. Sometimes it's neither of those. So on this compass at north, due north is where passion and proficiency come together. I call that the desire zone. If you go exactly due south all the way to the bottom of the compass, that's south. That's where you don't want to be. And that's, we call that the drudgery zone where you're not passionate about the work. You don't enjoy it and you're not good at it. You know, you just don't have a proficiency with it. For me, That would be things like managing my calendar, booking my own travel, um, any kind of administrative work, anything that's repetitive. You know, my assistant, Jim, on the other hand, loves that stuff. That's where his, that, that for him is in his desire zone, but it's in my drudgery zone. Then you've got, in addition to that, work which you may be really, really good at, but don't particularly enjoy it. For me, that was accounting. I did my accounting at my business, Michael Hyatt & Company, for a couple of years because I was good at it, but I didn't like it. And I call that the disinterest zone. And then opposite of that, so again, thinking of the compass, this would be the west, western quadrant where you may love something, but you're not good at it or not good at it yet. And I call that the distraction zone. That's where you go uh, typically to escape from the real work in your desire zone that moves the needle forward uh, in your business. So the desire zone is really where you want to focus. For me today, I spend 95% of my time in the desire zone. It's work that I love. And it's work that um, that I'm really good at. And I stay out of work that's in any of those other three zones. There's somebody else in my company that can do that work and has the desire for it.
0: So I think the thing that hit me as to why I claimed that it was – and again, I fully believe you can get to the desire zone like you have. I think the struggle to get there for most people is going to be twofold. Number one, they've not sat down and figured out the compass for themselves. Right. So that's that's the first part. The second part is is that even if they have figured it out, they don't feel like they have enough agency or time or resources to be able to delegate to others or automate or move things off their plate in the let's see if I can remember right here. Actually, I have it right here. Let me open this up. Um the freedom compass. So even in the stuff that they're proficient in, they don't You know, and and don't have a desire to do, you know, it's the distraction zone, it's a disinterest zone, especially the drudgery zone stuff, moving those three zones uh, out or off or, you know, to other people, uh, you know, so somebody would say, hey, Michael Hyatt, it's great that you get to spend so much time in the desire zone, but you have a team. But the thing is, is like, you've built that up over time. It's not an instantaneous transformation, but that doesn't mean change is impossible, Right. Totally. Well, so let me just
1: kind of go back to 2011, when I left the big corporate world where I was running what had been a public company, then we ended up selling to HarperCollins. But I had two full time assistants. You know, I had 650 employees. I stepped out of that world into a world where now I was a solopreneur. It was just me. So I'm trying to manage my calendar. I'm managing my inboxes. I'm managing my social media accounts. I'm booking my travel and trying to find the FedEx box when I've got an overnight package to ship. And so I'm doing all this stuff that I hadn't done in probably about two decades. And um, and it was not a uh, not an efficient use of my time. So I could have sat there and I could have said, look, I don't have a team. I just got to suck it up and get used to it. But what I realized, especially as a solopreneur, was that that nobody was paying me. My clients, my customers, were not paying me to book my travel. They weren't paying me to manage my calendar or find the FedEx box. And every moment that I spent doing that stuff was stuff was, was time that I couldn't bill out to people who were willing to pay me for my time. So I thought, hmm, what if I hired an executive assistant, which I did from a company called Belay, and I hired, I hired them for five, this lady, five hours a week, and that lasted about two weeks. And all of a sudden, that reclaimed at least five hours a week that I could turn around and now actually sell that time to somebody else who would pay me, which, you know, they paid me a much higher rate than I was paying Trisha, my assistant. So it was a net gain. Does that make sense?
0: Totally. Yeah. And so you were able to, well, one, I want to say this, you struggled just like everybody else has struggled. You you stepped right into, you yes. stepped in it. In other words. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, by I doing totally that, you you've, so. I mean, so in other words, you've experienced that almost helpless feeling of, I, you know, and not everybody listening here right now is a one man show like you were or like I am, but they know that, uh, from hearing you say it, they, in other words, they hear your experience and they know, oh, okay, the possibility is there. It's not that you're saying like, you. I mean, again, this was 2011 and it's now 2019. This is eight years on into your journey. Yeah, absolutely. You have to
1: start where you are and that's what chapter two is all about. You got to start where you are and then you've got to incrementally move out of that. So I didn't just say, oh, great, I've got a virtual assistant for five hours a week. Now I'm going to delegate everything that's not in my desire zone and I'm going to, you know, be and doing work I love and all that. No, I started by delegating first the drudgery zone stuff, you know, the stuff that I, I didn't enjoy and I wasn't any good at. And that was, first of all, not to, did that just free up the hours. But you've only got so much energy for that kind of grinding, soul-crushing work. And so for, for me to get that off my plate, you know, it was just like a, a huge emotional drag uh, was lifted from me. So start small and and move forward. And I think this is where we have to be very careful that we don't get uh, trip up on our limiting beliefs. And limiting beliefs, you know, I talk about that in your best year ever, I talk about that in Free to Focus, but people have a lot of limiting beliefs around productivity, including I don't have control of my time. You know, maybe you're a mid-level manager or you work for somebody else. Well, here's what I would say. I say, first of all, forget about having control over all your time. But the time you do have discretion over, let's see if we can, can put that to better use and at least manage that in a better way.
0: This episode's also brought to you by Blinkist. In this conversation with Michael, we're talking about using your time in the best way possible. One of the worst things that you can do, and Chris Brogan says this all the time, is to finish bad books or finish things that you don't need to be finishing. Quit them. Well, I would say take it to another level and don't even start them. In fact, use Blinkist to cut down on the time that you spend reading books. I know that sounds like the opposite of what I should be saying, but here's a productivity hack. Blinkist takes the best key takeaway the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, cuts them down into 15 minutes so you can read it or listen to it. Then, because I do believe in the power of books, you go through that book in 15 minutes and have that baseline understanding of what the content is about. You can then invest even more wisely later in purchasing that book and spending time pondering that book as you go through the full contents of it. It's not about doing less reading of full books. It's about picking the right ones. And that's what's great about Blinkist. I can skim through and make better choices on which books to listen to or read after going through them with Blinkist and doing this when I'm driving in the car or on a workout on the treadmill. I mean, I can go half an hour on the treadmill and get two Blinkist books done and probably a third or fourth with my commute to the gym and that's four books right there that I now have better information on in terms of choosing them to maybe read in full later to dive deeper into the content. And you may be wondering what kind of books well many different books from people that have been on this show for example paul jarvis company of one james clear's atomic habits john acuff's finish alex pang's book rest that we talked about earlier in this conversation with michael hyatt and many more right now for a limited time blinkist is giving a special offer to you to go check them out you can get a free seven-day trial by going to blinkist.com slash beyond that's blinkist spelled b-l- I-N-K-I-S-T Blinkist.com slash beyond to start your free seven-day trial. Again, URL Blinkist.com slash beyond. One of the reasons people say they don't have the time is because they're misusing it unintentionally. They're not taking careful thought as to what they're doing with the tools they have at their disposal. I know you recently read Cal Newport's new book, Digital Minimalism. He was just on the show talking about this. And you went through this process of creating what you've called a, a minimalist phone. And I'd love for you to walk through that thought process of why you thought you needed to do that and decision-making processes to start to finish as to how you've arrived at where you're at now.
1: Yeah, wow, this has been a journey. So one of the things I started realizing, I mean, I wrote an entire book on social media called Platform, (laughs) social media and blogging and all that. And so I was an early advocate for social media, but something happened, you know, over the course of the last decade, and that is these big social media companies have essentially weaponized their powers to destroy your attention. And here's what it looks like. It's their their business model is completely at odds with our desire to do more focused work. Because what they realized, and and I read this in, in Cal's book, I think it was back in the 1830s, when the guy that came up with the penny newspapers realized that instead of just selling newspapers and, and getting all of his money from the customers that read the newspapers, he could make more money if he would collect those eyeballs and resell them to advertisers. Well, eventually, radio was built on that same model. Television was built on that same model. And yes, social media is built on that same model. So it's, it's like somebody has said, I don't know who said this, you may know, but you know, if, uh, if you're not buying a product, you are the product. And that's exactly what happens with Facebook. I'm a product. My eyeballs, my attention, my focus is a product that Facebook is reselling to the highest bidder. So I started to notice that even though I deal with productivity, that I was becoming increasingly distracted by social media, by Slack, by email, you know, just the the multiplicity of inboxes in our life. It was hard to get work done. So last summer, I read, I don't know if you've read this, Eric, but uh, Jaron Lanier's book, and I think it's called something like, you know, 10 reasons why you should quit social media right now. You know, he's a a very famous technologist from the Silicon Valley. So I it really made me perk up and 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 listen as I read that book and it was radical. And one of the things I realized is that those big social media companies, that those those people are not even letting their kids be active in social media or on screens very much because they realize what a negative impact that that has on our cognition, on our social development and certainly on our productivity. But I I felt like that book was a little bit too radical. So when Cal's book came out, and I'm a huge uh, Cal Newport fan, and thankfully he endorsed Free to Focus. I was very grateful for that. But he gave me a much more, I think, um, moderate or reasoned approach to it. So what I did was I turned my smartphone into a dumb phone. And I'm gonna tell you what I did. I took, took email off, I took Slack off, I took off all social media with one exception, with Instagram, because I'm really trying to build my Instagram following. But check this out. So what I did on Instagram was I used screen time, which is a feature of the, the iOS operating system. And I went and took screen time, and I limited my use of Instagram by 30 minutes. But I know myself, and I know what happens when you use screen time. It'll come up, and it, it will say, you've reached your app limit. Do you want to uh, extend it by 15 minutes or do you just want to forget about the limits for today? Well, you know, if I ran up against (laughs) the limit, I'd punch the button. So I'd cheat. So what I did was I gave my phone to my wife and I said, look, I want you to enter in a password to control uh, screen time that I don't know. I don't want you to share with me. I do want you to share it with my assistant in case there's an emergency, but I don't want to have access to it. And so that's what she did. Here's what's happened to me. My phone is almost irrelevant now. I, I went to dinner last night with a couple, and I, I almost didn't get it out of the car. I just thought, why why am I taking this in? I mean, unless there's an emergency phone call. And the only reason I took it in is because I wanted to take a photo of us together. So that, believe it or not, dumb phones have made a resurgence. And I went on the quest looking for this. You know, Is there just a phone out there that uh, didn't provide all the smartphone features? Because I don't need all that stuff. I want to confine that. I want to quarantine it to specific times in my day when I can get in and get out and not be distracted.
0: Yeah, I, I saw you asking the questions about, you know, what are the, the dumb phone, uh, you know, what are the smart yet dumb phone alternatives out there? And there just doesn't seem to be anything out there just yet that's, that we're not, we've not, like how there were smartphones before the iPhone we've not had the the same equivalent you know iphone of dumb phones come out just yet that is a mass market adoptable
1: well there there actually are a couple that that are pretty cool like there's the the palm phone p a l m yes. the palm phone is very cool because uh, sprint is the only carrier that offers it but it's a it's a dumb phone limited phone but it actually tethers to your main phone and, and tethers in the way that your, your, your device can ring when somebody calls your phone number, it can ring on both devices. So you can just take this little kind of sidekick phone, the Palm phone uh, with you when you only want access to like text messaging in a phone. The coolest one of all though, the one, and I've actually ordered this one, is the Light Phone, L-I-G-H-T, the Light Phone 2. Mm-hmm. And it's about the size of a credit card and it just does text and phone. It's very cool.
0: Yeah, I will probably be picking that one up as well. I just, you know, my, my comment is more towards we're still in the early days of that. And I think still people yeah. don't necessarily have the awareness of the necessity of, uh, you know, right. still being able to get uh, benefits out of the technology without losing the benefits and just chucking it all together. So,
1: so. Well, you can totally do it on your iPhone if you're if you're intentional about it, that's what I did. And I love having a great camera with me and I've become very dependent on the camera on the iPhone. So I got the same thing now, essentially.
0: So, so psychologically though, how does it feel? Like what, how do you feel now? I mean, obviously you didn't take the phone. Well, you did take the phone in, but only to, again, you, you thought you had the forethought, uh, I can leave this behind. Oh wait, no, I want to use it for a picture, but then you did, but then probably nothing else, right?
1: That's it. Nothing else. Here's, here's what it looks like. When I'm at dinner, like I was last night with my wife, Gail, and with this couple that we love hanging out with, I was fully present. You know, I didn't feel this compulsion, and that's what it is because dopamine's at work. I didn't feel this compulsion to be checking my phone, you know, or when I would get bored. Or here's what I used to do. You know, I'd get up to go use the restroom, take my phone with me, and (laughs) check some of my inboxes while I'm in the restroom, right? I mean- And one of the things that uh, screen time will tell you that's a little bit scary is how many times you pick up your phone every day. And the average person is picking up their phone 150 to 200 times a day, which sounds like it's not possible. But look at screen time and see how many times you're picking it up. I just don't pick up my phone that much anymore. And it's freed up time to read, to enjoy my friends. It, I, I say no word, it, it feels like freedom.
0: I've got to imagine that at first you were thinking, okay, I'll reach for it. But then you realize There's really nothing there for you to use that is, you know, worthy of diving in on. And so you turn back to the desktop again where you were actually working on something. So the distractions, which is, again, a key piece of what the book is uh, helping you deal with, the distractions start to melt away.
1: They do. And it's amazing how much you can do and how much you can accomplish when you're totally focused. I mean, think about how you are on that Friday before you leave on a one-week vacation. I mean, most of us on that Friday before we leave on vacation are hyper-focused. We have the ability to concentrate. We don't get distracted by frivolous or uh, trivial matters because we know we've got a limited amount of time to get our work done so that we can be free to go on our vacation. Well, that kind of intensity, that kind of focus can really be ours every day. Maybe not quite that high, but when we eliminate the distractions and become very focused and When we establish constraints or boundaries, that can really work for us in terms of our productivity.
0: Yeah. I will say this. A friend of mine listened to uh, Cal talking on my show and said, you know what? We should totally do something for Lent with our phones. And I said, well, uh, I know of someone referencing you and he's done that and i thought let's do this so <laughs> we sat down together and we started off loading apps and putting them in folders and putting them away and literally the only thing i can do on my phone right now is is uh calling and texting nothing else that's awesome so well,
1: what's the effect been for you
0: i've done it now i mean we're you know we're not yet into lent but I decided to – we decided to do it ahead of time so that we could see where we we may want to tweak it or make an allowance occasionally just for, you know, work's mm-hmm. sake or whatever and not go into it, uh, you know, and then quit it. So I can say now th- four days in, I think, that I have stopped – like my – I've stopped reaching for the phone because I know it's not necessary. I don't need it.
1: So that, You know, that took me about three or four days too. Yeah. It was just – it. I had basically trained – my neurophysiology in a compulsive way to do that. And it, and it took uh, about three to four days to break the habit where I, where I can now be conscious of the fact that I'm reaching for the phone. I also created a, uh, a home screen and a uh, lock screen that has the word focus on it.
0: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. just, it's just
1: a reminder too.
0: Yeah. I, right now, I mean, I even moved everything off the front screen. So it's literally just at the bottom. It's my settings, the text message uh, app and the phone call app. And that's that's the, it's a big slab of black. And then those three icons at the very bottom and it just feels like, oh, there's nothing there. Never mind. put it back down. You
1: know, what's funny about that is, I, I don't know what particular phone you have, but this, I have the um, I, iPhone I, XS Max.
0: Yeah, the XS or the XS Max. We've got the same phone.
1: Yeah. And so for me, I would not have paid over $1,000 for this phone, given the limited functionality I have now. But, <laughs> right. So I, I think, I think this, this kind of thing is a big threat to these device manufacturers. But if they don't become part of the solution and people perceive them as part of the problem, they're, I think it's going to hurt their, their marketability.
0: Yeah. i, I got to ask this, though. Are you still using the Apple Watch? And if so, how does that factor into this new phone?
1: Well, basically, my Apple Watch you know, mirrors everything that's going on in my phone. So it's also got limited functionality. You know, I've got my time. I've got my next appointment that I'm seeing. I've got the temperature outside. I've got how many steps I've taken today and how much is charged in the date, but not very much information. I mean, it's basically a dashboard. And here's where I'll use it. Um, here's the other reason, by the way, I like my iPhone is when I go to the gym or I go for a run or a walk, I want to be able to listen to podcasts. Um, And I can control those, as you know, for the Apple Watch, so I can pause or whatever. Um, I also want to be able to track my mileage when I'm out for a run or out for a walk, and I can do that for my watch. But honestly, I, I don't get a lot of use out of the watch either.
0: It's not just a pairing back of technology for the sake of that. It's the coming up with a digital technology strategy like Cal talks about. You're, yes. you're assessing each on its merits of what value does it bring you? And is the time you're trading using that tool worth the value that it brings?
1: Well, and for example, we just recently went through this with our company where, you know, we're a, we're a company full of tech enthusiasts. We have 35 full-time people right now and people would discover something and they'd throw it into Slack and then everybody would get sidetracked by that. And, you know, we, we had people using to share content. Evernote, some people were using Notion, some people were using Workflowy, some people were using Google Docs, some people were using Word. We said, wait, as an organization, we have got to simplify our tech stack and be very intentional in terms of the tools we use to collaborate. And so, for example, um, in terms of sharing content, you know, we settled on Google Docs. You know, it has the best collaboration features. It doesn't have all the amazing depth and functionality of Word. But guess what? We never use all that stuff. It doesn't have some of the cool, fun stuff that Notion has or some of the things that Evernote has, but it just works. And we don't need every feature. We just need the right features. And why spend all of our time trying to learn new technology instead of doing what we really want to do, which is the work, which is let technology be the servant. We need to be creating the content. We need to be marketing that. And that's the real work. And you could spend so much time trying to find the applications with the most functionality, but it takes training time, it takes maintenance. And for what? A lot of times it just uh, introduces more complexity and complexity is so often the enemy of progress. It slows you down.
0: Yeah, man. I I hope that as we've been talking here and people have been listening in, that they can see kind of why I said like free to focus is really the place to start over, you know, I mean, again, best year ever would also be a great place to start, but that being on the ground level, dealing with stopping things appropriately, getting into figuring out the compass, figuring out what, where, and when you can get into the desire zone more. And definitely, most definitely talking about figuring out what we've just talked about for a a stint here, which is dealing with distractions in mm. one particular form, but multiple forms. Because if you can have, again, some quick wins in these areas, you're freeing yourself up. There's that word again, to to have that freedom to then focus and start to, again, you can have your best year ever then. You can then live forward, right?
1: Exactly right. And, and all of a sudden, you don't feel so overwhelmed. You don't risk or face burnout. Because you've got a manageable workload. And and this is kind of the measure for me. And this is what I meant earlier by, by putting restraints or constraints on your work. You know, it, it used to be back in my, my early career, probably for the first 15, maybe 20 years of my career, I would drag work home after I left the office, you know, get the kids fed. And then I would be right back on my laptop, cranking out some work. But here was the psychology of it. And I would drag work into the weekends. I'd work on typically on Saturday morning. And here was the psychology. You had to would be three o'clock in the afternoon. I wasn't really making any progress. I'd go, you know, down the hall and visit with a friend or I'd waste my time on something else because I thought to myself, I don't need to finish by five or six. I can just take this home and do it tonight. Well, then you enter into a situation where it's total work and you're working all the time. And I first heard Andy Stanley talk about this concept of putting a constraint or a hard uh, boundary on your quitting time. He did it when he founded North Point Community Church and he would leave the office. I think it was maybe at uh, four every afternoon. And what he found was that he didn't have time to waste during the day because he said, look, I can't drag this home. That's not an option because that's the rule I've created. And that's been the same for me. My lights go out at 6 p.m. in my office. They're automated. And if I keep working, I'm standing in the dark. So it's a great cue. But uh, because of that, I'm much more productive during the day. I don't work on the weekends. You know, I have a hard rule about that so that I don't think about work. I don't read about work. I don't listen to podcasts. I don't read about uh, business uh, books. I don't talk about work because I want to I want to rest and rejuvenate so that I bring my A game to work on Monday morning when I show up fully rested so that those constraints again, counterintuitively have made me way more productive than just saying, no, I can work anytime. I love my work. I'm not going to put any constraints on it.
0: Well, and I've even ha- heard you say your spin on Parkinson's law, which, you know, Parkinson's law is the, the work expands to fill the time allotted for its completion. But I've heard you say work also can contract to the time allotted for its completion. Yes. So totally getting your handle on this stuff, this rubber meets the road, practical day-in, day-out stuff is what Free to Focus honestly has done for me going through the course uh, digitally as well as uh, face-to-face and now the book. And I want to get as many people to get their hands on the book as possible. This is dropping right when the book is out. You should go grab it. Do you have a preference of where people can go check out more or grab the book in the most ideal place for you? Yeah.
1: Well, first of all, it'll be available at you know better booksellers everywhere. But I would go to freetofocusbook.com, freetofocusbook.com, because there we give you some amazing bonuses when you buy the book. You could buy it through Amazon, you could buy it through Barnes and Noble, you could buy it at in the airport, doesn't matter, but just go there, enter your receipt number, and that'll unlock the bonuses. And there'll be some cool stuff there. For you to implement this and and make a and make better use of it.
0: Perfect. I always love the book bonuses. They're always well worth the, I do too. the effort. Yeah. So uh Michael, it, again, I can't thank you enough for honestly free to focus and in, in the effect it's had on my life. I know it's gonna do a lot more good for people out there listening. So thanks again for being here and uh stop by again soon. Hey, thanks for having me on, Eric. Appreciate it. All right, another episode of Beyond the To-Do List is in the can. Thanks again to Michael for talking with me about free-to-focus, digital minimalism, and how he did that on his smartphone, turning it into a dumb phone, and helping him focus. I've been doing the same thing. If you have questions about that, feel free to shoot me a message. You can find the show notes for this episode at beyondthetodolist.com slash 268, and make sure to go grab the Free to Focus book. You can find the link for it at those show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it. Again, the sharing links are there at beyond the to dot com slash two six eight, and I will see you next episode.